Okay, so what have we been talking about so far in this series? Um, first off, first opening series, uh, just kind of covering the chapter titles of this book. Did everyone, is everyone here? Did everyone get a copy of this book? Jeff, you have not, right? No. This is your first week. I will, I think I might have to order some more, but I'll get you one. Um, so we, we've been using this as a guide. We're three chapters in now. The um, chapter we're covering today is chapter four, the content of our thinking, God. And uh, I would encourage you to read it because I'm going to cover a little bit of what he covers, uh, but also kind of following a, a rabbit trail in my own mind uh, went down with this, with this uh, chapter. Uh, but we started off with the question, are Christians mindless? Kind of looking at the idea of our faith, uh, what, how does kind of reason uh, and our mind play into the Christian faith? And kind of walking away from that, we, we uh, came away with the conclusion that no, we are not mindless. We are uh, designed to use our mental faculties to think through and, and reason the things of God to, um, as we'll see today, know him to uh, know what we are to believe about him and what our duty is to God. These are the ways that we are to, re uh, to have our minds renewed. Uh, scripture talks about us being renewed after the image of God. And as we talked about, I think it was last week, uh, <coughs> the uh, Shorter Catechism talks about us being created uh, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And we saw last week how the fall has corrupted all of those things. But as we are being renewed after the image of God, we should expect then that we, that's what's that word, renewed? It's we are being re, re, uh, new, recreated into uh, what we are meant to be. So Christians, uh, are Christians mindless? The answer is no. We are to, we are to engage our minds. The, the next chapter, Victor Reed taught, uh, the larger setting for mindlessness. This was kind of a step back, uh, kind of looking at uh, the looking at culture, looking at the world around us, and why uh, just the general thought process of the unsaved, but also realizing how easily that can creep into the church, uh, where we can uh, begin to reason in false ways as as the world uh, tends, tends to do. Now, that said, the, you know, we'll, we'll, get into, we'll get into this in later classes, but you know, thinking of Larry in the medical field uh, or the Roberts with psychology, there's the unsaved person can come to correct understanding of things. Mm -hmm. The unsaved person can come to the correct understanding of how the human body works or how the human mind works, and we, they can understand these things. So it's not to say that every thought from an unsaved individual is wrong, and every thought from the saved person is correct. No, that's not true. There's actual, there's common grace where there are people who are unsaved can perceive from the world around them and through reason what, what is true in God's created order. What the Christian, the Christian mind does, though, is understand better the source behind all that. And um, not we, some of this we'll, have, it will, uh, we'll look at today, but I would say it's, it's really understanding the God behind uh, the, the science, the, the, the things that we can reason to be true, the God behind that, and giving our worship to him, glorifying and enjoying him, uh, where the unsaved person is not able to do that. And there's going to be certain things that, um, you know, as we, we think about religion, the unsaved person will not be able to uh, understand God in, in the ways that we can't because uh, Paul talks about uh, in uh, his, his the first first Corinthians there uh, 
they're unable the unsafe person is unable to grasp the spiritual things where the safe person with the and dwelt by the holy spirit has their eyes opened are can understand the things of god mm-hmm. uh although you mean like gender well yeah we i mean we talked about that in, Vic, in victor's class the idea of uh transgenderism that's that's going on around right now and how um, God created us male and female, and the world might, can reason, well, if someone doesn't feel that way, they can be something else. Hmm. Um, and we would, you know, I think as we are, we raise our hands and say, eh, that actually doesn't make logical sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I read an article about a teenage girl in Australia who's identifies as a cat and the school allows her to be nonverbal because cats don't speak and she she can do cat like things um and it's just i under we weren't we're not going to get on into all that today but yes as the the reasoning is skewed but we should not be we should not be surprised that the world around us that their reasoning is is skewed and many times false romans 1 which i think is on my list anyway today we've come to a lot um, romans 1 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking. For those who have the book, you've seen the subtitle, Christian Mind Escaping Futility. And this is really, we're about to get to the recap of last week, this is really what kind of Damien was looking at, the only, and to go there right now, the only way to escape futility is not by pulling ourselves up by our own mental bootstraps and saying, I'm smarter than the next guy because I figured this out and I have escaped futility. The only way to escape futility is through the gospel. It's through uh, Jesus Christ. It's through his renewing work in us that we uh, escape futility and we cannot have, we have nothing to boast in. Um, so in, in that, uh, kind of continue with our review, um, last week, Damien taught on our mind and the gospel. Kind of look at big, the two big summary headers that, that were given for the law. What, what, are, what, are, the, what are the two great commandments or the summary of the Ten Commandments. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. So from the very beginning, and Romans talks about this, is that even the Gentiles who are without the law knew the law. They had it written on their hearts. From the very beginning of time, people were created with the knowledge of God's commandments. Love God, love neighbor. The fall completely marred that where we can no longer uh, properly the way we have to love God or love neighbor. So the only way for us to actually be able to love God and love neighbor is again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we can't, um, because Jonathan Edwards talks about uh, no one no one can do any, any good works except through the mediation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the, is the gift we receive through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit comes and it dwells us. He applies the work of Christ in us so we are be, being renewed at, at more and more into the image of our Savior. Um, is, is that 100% um, to- totally due to the Holy Spirit's work in us? Or do we... Do we do that through our, like, uh, reading on the Word and prayer? Is, how, how does that, what's the main... I'm not going to try to answer that in, okay. in this short class. Yeah. 
But yes, it's as it come is on, Jeremy. It's yeah. monergistic. Just come on. It's monergistic. It's monergistic. All right, which means but, it's God acting. Right now, He's acting through your reading of the scriptures. Okay. All right, but it's still God acting. Got it. Yes. I know what you mean by monergistic. We've had that yeah. discussion. Okay. So, is there something to do? Yes. Can you boast about what you do? No. Okay, so I, I, we're back to that whole right. discussion. I got you. Um, yeah, I think I shared this a while. I don't know. At some some point, whether it's from the pulpit or Sunday school class, I shared this. It was uh, some writer from the 1600s, I think, was saying, uh, said that uh, God, God enables us... <clears throat> The, the, the Holy Spirit does what we are called to do, and then in glory, God rewards us for what, what the Holy Spirit did in us, <laughs> even though we you know, that, you know, aren't, aren't not the ones who originated it or, or did it of our, of our own power. So it's, yeah. it's hard to wrap our brain around. No, I think I, get, I I've understood that. I just wasn't thinking how that played in. Yeah. And this is partly that spiritual discernment stuff too, right? It's the filthy rags thing. Mm. So the the unsaved person can do what, according to human wisdom, is a righteous thing, feeding the homeless mm. or whatever. But anything not of faith is sin. So that person doing that, quote-unquote, righteous act, it's offensive before a holy God because it was done outside of fellowship in and through him. That... Yeah, we'll talk about the Actually, we never thought a little about bit about that today. Okay, um, so that's kind of a recap. The, the bigger question is like, why are we studying this? Why are we studying the Christian mind? I want to hear from you, maybe. Why, why do you think we are studying the Christian mind? Why might, why might this topic be important? For me, if I could answer that one, I think what... We look at it as we've grown up, and we, even we're, we're born into this world as sinners, and so our mind is already corrupt. And the things that we would be able to do in that mindset or that way of life is just only sin, and you really wouldn't be fulfilling God's word at all. So in this case, this helps me to to know what is the mind of God and know how to act appropriately to people because like I like you know my situation I'm sitting there thinking these people are crazy right <laughs> and I'm I need to I need to figure out how to put on the whole arm of God <laughs> I need to actually know how do I speak to these people and you know I was dealing with like some homosexual people and it's just I'm not really equipped for dealing with that at the moment I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm not really sure I care. Sorry. But, you know, what I'm saying is like, I need to get the right mind. And um, I think being renewed in our mind through the Holy Spirit is the answer to that, right? Yeah. And and I would say that, you know, as you're learning, you are being, you are equipped. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the thing is, is we, we know we are to love our enemies. We are to do good to per- to those who persecute us. That's kind of the extreme. I would argue a homosexual um, coworker is not really your enemy. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I uh, like they're fit in this whole area. Like oh, so what do I? What am I supposed to do? Love them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is this. I, I'm glad you brought that out because we can get so. Uh, Angry or divided against a an unbelieving the unbelieving world around us, especially when it comes to things that we think. I don't. How in the world are you believing that lie? That is just ridiculous. Yeah. And it's yeah. not wrong to think that because I think that's where we do damage to the Christian mind when we say we have to modify when we the truth. kind of accept like oh, okay I see it's like no. It's ridiculous, but such as such as I, I, you know, I, apart from Christ, I might be believing that lie as well. We I mean, should the have guy, the guy's uh, 
at one example, it's the guy saying to me, hey, can you give me a ride home, man? I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, I had to stop and think for a second because I'm not really into that, but I'm running. And I don't want to send any mixed messages kind of thing, right? <laughs> so basically, I'm going, yeah, sure. And just kept it like that. Mm -hmm. And But I'm not coming over to your house to have some tea or just, just I'm, for me, I'm thinking, how do I deal with this? Because I'm not sure I'm really, so, but, but you're right. It's just treat them like normal people, be kind, you talk cordially with them, but, but you don't believe their lives. Like he'd say to me, yeah, me and my husband are married for the last eight years. And, uh, I, you know, I really think he's the best guy. Thank God for him. I love him so much. And I'm like, I don't think God did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I'm supposed to believe that that God put you guys together. Right. Just, well, and that's an, that's an example where yeah, we we're like no, that's we we God God does not approve of sin. So it's like we aren't going to to sell to say we're going to celebrate a marriage between a man and a man because they really love each other and God has done a beautiful thing. Like no. Yeah. This is this is an offense before God. It's an offense for but, me too. Well, right, and, we, and it should be. Yeah. Right? We should be offended at sin, but we are also called to be compassionate. This is where, um, yeah, I, I was walking my boys last night through um, this the scene where David's hiding in the cave, and Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. Saul, who is in hot pursuit of David to kill David. And David, uh, Saul comes into the cave. David's men say, look, Saul's right there. He has no idea that we're here. You can go kill him. God has delivered your enemy into, his, into your hands. What does David do? He goes up, cuts off a little corner of Saul's robe. Saul leaves and then David comes out and calls to Saul and says, Saul, and why did they do that? Who am I to put my hand against God's anointed? <clears throat> and this is this is really captures that idea of God saying, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay." He has told us what we are to do. We are to love our enemies. We are to do good to those who persecute us. Who are we to take vengeance? And I would say we need to be careful that we're not taking vengeance in our minds. You know, as as Christ draws out the law, is it? It's you, you thought, word, and deed. Well, with me, it's like I'm. I've kind of even been vocal in the opposite way. You know, I'm not not loving in that way in the past, and I'm thinking, Lord, you put me in this situation. How do I deal with this situation? And He's going, Jeff, just when you're there, let me work in you, and I will. And, and so, kind of, He gave me a. He's like. You're doing the right thing. Just calm down. Don't don't overemphasize this. Don't talk about it. You don't need to go into that. I'm working in his heart too. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, wow, okay. Yeah, and this that's I think the the one passage on this part I will mention just because I think it is so important for us. Um, it's so important for us as we are dealing with people who. Maybe our first reaction is disgust, uh, or our first reaction is just like, again, how can how can you think that way? That is so backwards. Logic and reason doesn't even you're not even employing logic and reason. It doesn't make any sense, and we can get so hardened and and hateful that we forget uh, what Paul says, First Corinthians uh, chapter six. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And a lot of us right there would be like, Amen! Preach it, brother! They're going to hell! What does he say? And such were some of you. Praise be to God that he saves wretches like me. Amen. So, just like, you know, 
shortly before the scene of Saul in the cave, Saul had shown up and found out that the high priest had given David bread. He's like, kill him. Uh, I'm not going to kill the high priest. Okay, then you kill him. And Saul is just this angry, hateful man. He's thrown, he's tried to peg David to the wall multiple times with a spear. He, he's, you think of like scum of the earth, earth. Saul is proving himself to be scum. And here's David. I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. And it's, we really have to have this picture with the world around us. As backward as the thinking is, we need to understand such were some of us. We have to have compassion. We have to love them. Because guess what? God may save them. Yeah. Far be it from me to want anyone to uh, escape the hell. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's what I would want is like, as much as I don't get this, I want that person to be with me in eternity. I, 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 God doesn't desire any to be lost. So why should that be my desire? I mean, when you really think about it, the biggest offense there that you see is that really you're offended by the fact that he's believed a lie. That this is an alternate lifestyle that's okay. Mm -hmm. And yet you go, should he burn in hell and be under the wrath of God for eternity? No, I think maybe I would like to, him to go to heaven too. Yeah, and that should he? Yes. Should I? Yes. yes. I should be in hell for eternity, suffering the wrath of God for what I have done. Yep. But for the grace of God, he chose me before the foundations of the earth, not for anything that I had done. Before I could do anything good or bad, he said, Jeremy. Jesus, or my son, will you live and die for Jeremy? Yes. It's a beautiful thing, but it's, it has nothing to do because of God looking down the corridors of time and saying, you know what, Jeremy's going to be a really good, a really good guy to have in the church. Well, in terms no. of mindset, just even in some of this is, as I what I've listened to and read. Uh, Christ doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't already do. Mm -hmm. So even when people are crucifying, he's like, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. It's like there wasn't any anger. Mm -hmm. It's like he understood that they were largely ignorant. And even when we're saved, we're, we have a hate towards God before that. So if I remember who I was, I don't really have any business hating on anybody. No. Mm -hmm. Right? So... At least for me, if I put myself in proper perspective, the vertical and then the horizontal, it's like, ah, it's hard for me to be too angry at anybody yeah. because it makes sense. Their, their worldview is more centered through how they want the world to be rather than the external through the way God sees things. So yeah, that's good. It help. makes it very easy to be angry that the world's not the way I want it, but you know what? It's not the way God necessarily desired it, but this is the way it is, and so mm -hmm. we're working through it, but I'm no better or worse than they are. Yeah. Except for Christ. That's that whole splinter in the eye thing and log. <clears throat> but, but a lot of it just has to do with mindset, and I agree with what you are saying earlier, is that trying to better understand the mind of God, it makes it easier to understand some of the things in the Bible, otherwise it's, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And this is really where we're going today, is as Damien touched on last week, the great commandments, love God, love neighbor. We have to, there, there, there's an order to that. Mm -hmm. As Ron is saying right now, hmm. understanding that vertical, I cannot properly love my neighbor. I cannot properly love my homosexual coworker to use the example we've been talking about, if I don't first love God. And the beauty of it is, 
God first loves us, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a lot, which even allows us to turn and love him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we're going to be talking about that today. So what are, really quickly, just so we, again we can understand uh, kind of why we're talking about the Christian mind, uh, the, the difficulties that we uh, have, or kind of how the, the world views some of this, how sometimes we can, in error, adopt some of this. Um, the, the kind of the big question is today is, for what purpose have we been given our minds? For what purpose have we been given our minds? Well, how, how does the world try to answer this question? Why are we thinking, reasoning? Well, it's all creatures. It's, it's evolution, so there's, there's no reason behind it. It's just we have a mind, so we can use it. No, it's the aliens. It's the aliens. That's right. They, they have an intent, so. That's a, yeah, I, I did not have aliens on my list, but I should have. I had evolution. Yeah, that's kind of well. There's there, or there's a reason behind it though. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Right. So as we have evolved and developed our minds, we happen to develop to this point where we can build and do amazing things, and we are learning to survive better than most uh, so that brings morals into an interesting point because what is the point of a moral yes and people try and use evolution to argue that which it makes it really interesting to listen to yes so you'll have some i think i mentioned in victor's class mm-hmm. some evolutionists that i've heard will basically say yes i understand that taking this to its logical conclusion i do believe that there is no right and wrong that I can, if I really want to, I can do what I want to do. Now, society has built up some things around that, that I might get punished for that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's just a, a created construct, right? So there's survival of the fittest. Uh, we think about um, coping with suffering. You know, how we can think through and reason through these things. Which brings us to uh, the, the group that the author talks about, the Stoics. The Stoics believed that the best life is an ethical life. So this is kind of where some of the morals and ethics uh, come into, how they kind of wrap their minds around it. One must overcome the weakness of emotions by understanding the world around him. Um, kind of thoughts about virtue, triumphs over adversity. This would be someone... A Stoic who truly kind of becomes one with nature is not um, pushing back against it, but has learned how to kind of flow through life, whether in good in good times and bad times, having that calm Stoicism. Uh, they they'd be known as a state as a sage. You know, this is someone who has arrived. They have that Stoic calm, and no, no matter what is happening to them. They can uh, kind of go with the flow because they have they have uh, kind of arrived at this place, um, knowing that they're. Uh, it's this idea that you know that you are uh, what you are and what you are and what you are not in control of, and being able to kind of reason and think through that and um, uh, just kind of move through life more in control. But that. Uh, I don't know if I'm taking too much time, so let me know. But the whole thing is just, I'm looking at this critical race theory to being taught in school and how the, how the parents have gone in and said, hey, I'd like to be peaceable with you guys, but to be honest with you, you're not che- teaching my children this. Mm-hmm. And so they've gotten into trouble with the FBI and you know they're trying to get these, these people in trouble and give them all kind of grief. I'm thinking, well, you used your mind to make a really good decision and you're going against the flow, I don't see a problem with that. The yeah. Stoics remind me of the Vulcans. And I, uh, I, put, put a, I think that might take us a little too far off course getting right. into kind of that right okay. now. Um, but yes, Vulcans, yeah. I thought of Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? Um, you think of the Enlightenment where you kind of attain 
uh, a supreme wisdom by understanding the divine truth of life, and you are enlightened. But yeah, the Vulcans. What's the kind of Vulcan? Well, it's it's emotion and bad. Right. Logic is good. Yes. You know? Yeah. So even though we have emotion, we suppress emotion so that our logic can work work out. Yeah. And you said that you know in the very beginning of your definition of Stoics. Um, they Did Stoics suppress? I thought that they. I haven't read that much about it, but I thought that the Stoic philosophy was you feel the emotion, you don't react to the emotion. I yeah, don't know yeah. That well, that and that's yes, yeah, that that would be. They're a, like, I don't, con- I control. Yes, things. yeah, and that's the, the same thing with control. Vulcans too. Yeah, but I mean, Vulcans aren't real, so <laughs> Vulcans aren't real. <laughs> but <laughs> but in a sense, though, we you know we. And even as we create science fiction and stuff, it's there's nothing new under the sun. Right. We're very much putting, oftentimes, our philosophies yeah. onto these. Well, and I think creations. Of, I mean, in person, it's like I, I find a lot of that attractive, but it's absent God. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like there's there's no rescue party coming for you. You have to figure out how to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. And since that's the case, what's the best way through it? Because mm-hmm. you're not going to avoid it. And so there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of benefits, I would say, in terms of figuring out how to do that, not react. And, mm-hmm. But I don't think they acknowledge God in no. any way. So yeah. there's that. Right. And that's hitting, it, that's hitting it on the nose. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, and I think this is so important for us to understand, you, you, whether it's just philosophy or, very, or other religious groups, you can have, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of good that comes out of these things. Where you, know, you can love your neighbor. But at the end of the day, if it's absent God, then it's that filth it's those filthy rags that is still damnable to hell. Because you're not knowing God. And this is that's the answer to our question we'll look at here with the, the last 15 minutes that we have what is the purpose that we have been given our minds to know God we have been given our minds to know God the author points out that we are uh, neither demigods or mere animals but we are image bearers as we think through the creation account we are God's special creation we are not mere animals like creation fish to swarm the seas and the birds to swarm the air and the cattle and beasts of the land along with the the two-legged variety i call man to to graze in the fields alongside the cows no like i've created this i've created this i've created this now let us make man in our own image we are a special creation um and he says and we're not demigods He's not, what is that term? Like little gods. Little um, Hercules. Hercules. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Hercules is a good example of a demigod. Only contemporary people say that God's within us, or we are God. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's contemporary too. Yeah. Yeah, there's very there's definitely more current line of thought as well. So we're not we're not demigods, we're not mere animals, we're image bearers. Um, he says what distinguish it what distinguishes us from them is our ability to know God personally. We are rational beings whose minds can apprehend God. I think it's, I know I've heard Doug say it, it's probably not original to Doug, but I think he says, we, we are the praying creature. We are the one creation who can apprehend God. So every, you know, this, we see this with worship. Everybody worships. There's not a single human being that is not a worshiper. Now, what or who they worship is the question. And this is what what the point is. We are to know God. We are to know him and worship him rightly. But we are all worshiping creatures. We are flailing about trying to find something to, to worship. Um, so yeah, we're, we are rational beings whose minds can apprehend God. We are the praying creature. 
Genesis 1, I won't walk through all of these um, passages, but I think I already kind of quoted this one. We are created in the image of God. We are, we are meant to bear his image. Um, but what ruined that? The fall. The fall ruined who we were as image bearers, as uh, people who can rightly apprehend and worship God, who can know him. We, we ruined that. I already read Romans 1, 18 through 23 where Paul captures kind of what happened to our minds in the fall. We became lovers of self, worshiping self, right? Now that's kind of the big thing we, we gravitate to worship. Um, even though we knew, this is interesting. I'm going to go through some passages in a minute. There's knowing God, and then there's knowing God. Because that language in Romans 1, he says, even they knew God, but they basically refused to worship him as God. They, uh, he says they're without excuse, but knowing the truth, they rejected it. They're they're fled from it. So... It's not even just the knowing the truth, it's, it's... Having the truth, the falsehoods and not only do they believe it but they do it and then they approve yes prove it. yeah it's so th- this is the difference between simply knowing knowing God exists and truly knowing God personally mm-hmm. and worshiping him rightly um, the, that, so the thought that Kind of, I my mind went down. It's not in the chapter here uh, necessarily, so I would encourage you to read chapter four as well. But the thought I went down is this whole idea about knowing God. Well, God, God has. Are are we the ones who? Do we approach God to know Him, or does God approach us? He approaches us. He approaches us, right? He has condescended to us by way of covenant. This is kind of what we see throughout the entire scripture. He condescends and covenants with man. And we we, we read in, um, I'm not going to be able to read all these passages, but just to give a slight taste, Genesis uh, 17.7, as God is uh, covenanting with Abraham, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This whole idea we see over and over and over to be a God to you and to your children. Um, this is one of the things we'll, we'll see in, in covenant language um, talking about dwelling with us. Um, he talks about being ever, an everlasting co- uh, covenant. Uh, but there is, we see both. Uh, of the unsaved knowing him and the saved knowing him. Because like he, even in delivering Israel out of Exodus, he says, the Egyptians are going to see my mighty hand. So I'm going to deliver you out and they will know that I am God. Not in a saving way. But yeah, they will still know that he is God. Um, the point for Israel was to know him in a saving way. Um, and we'll see that what we see this in covenant, that there's both does it be a covenant blessing and a covenant curse. Um, I want to make sure I hit some of these important ones. Uh, Exodus 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, and I did not make my. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So therefore, uh, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my, my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will be your God. You will be my people. And we see this language throughout as the people go to Sinai and Moses receives the instruction for the tabernacle. Kind of God's, this picture of God's dwelling place among them. His, the, the innermost court, the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant is his footstool. And this, the, the pillar of cloud uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night is resting there. This idea that God is dwelling with them, um, that this continues to develop, um, skipping ahead in some of my passages, Jeremiah uh, 31, just more of this covenant language. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So in this picture, in this idea of covenant, that the covenant is always God being, I, I will be your God, you will be my people. What's, it's this intimate knowledge of who God is. To apprehend him right, uh, rightly, to worship him rightly, to know him and to love him. Uh, and again, we see just as God is the one condescending and covenanting with us. This is how our, our love for him works. He, he, we love him because he first loved us, as I previously said. And there's a whole lot of, I, God, will, I yes. will, I will. And there's not any in that one of, if you. Right. Yeah, which you, you read the introduction to Ephesians and it's all God acting, all God acting. Yeah. Um, for the sake of time, I mean, it's Peter brings up the covenant at Pentecost as they say, how, how will we be saved? And, God, and he says, the promise is still true for you and for your children. The promise is true. God is still covenanting with us. And we see this all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation uh, 21, 3, uh, as John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be to them as their God. So what is the purpose of that we have been given our minds? is to know God. And we see this throughout the story of redemption in Scripture, that God is desiring to make a people his own, his own possession, his chosen people, and that he wants to dwell with them and for them to know him. The outside world will know him in, a in the sense of judgment. We get to know him in the sense of being his redeemed people. We were once here, and he, through the blood of Christ, has redeemed us and made us his own for the purpose of dwelling with us. Um, e and even now, there's a sense of that. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, talking about fleeing from sexual immorality. What's the reason he tells them? What's one of, the, one of the main reasons he tells you them to flee from sexual immorality? It's a sin against the body. Sin against the body, and what's important about that? It's a temple, it's a temple of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. You're joining Christ with a prostitute. Yes. Yeah. He says, God is dwelling with you. 
the Holy Spirit, God himself, is dwelling in us. Why should we join the temple of God with a prostitute? So, like, can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially, would God allow that? I mean, essentially, wouldn't he just cut, cut you off instead of allowing himself to be brought into that connection? You know, David? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. There you go. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the beauty. If we are in him, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. And we fool ourselves. In fact, uh, John would say we make God a liar if we say that we don't sin, if we have no sin. God is gracious and loving and kind to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the physical act. He, he comes in with the yes. becoming and says, if you even look at it, right? Right. So, woo. Yeah. So we are all guilty um, of... of uh, offending, offending God. So it's ten o'clock. Let me just—I didn't get get as far as I wanted in some we, things. We get to go to ten online. You get. Yeah. I, I've told <laughs> I've told the teachers now, and this is mainly, you know, me instructing myself because I'm the one that runs long, that I have to end at no later than ten o five. You know, I just got a quick thoughts to let you ponder as we leave. You can even open scripture and glean wisdom out of it, not being a Christian. Um, I was thinking of Proverbs 6, where uh, we learn about the work ethic of the ant. Well, you think of you know, what's the, the, the parable of the uh, ant and the grasshopper that's attributed to Aesop, Aesop's fables. The ant, the, again, this kind of this whole, this idea of uh, whether, um, how, how, whether it's pulled out of the Proverbs or just by observing nature, like the others, wisdom and a work ethic, working hard. But Proverbs 1 starts with, what's the foundation of wisdom? Fear of God. The fear of God. So you can have all that wisdom and ethical knowledge, if you think back to the Stoics, you can have all that, but as Ron said, if it's not found, if its foundation is not the fear of God, and again, I was having this conversation with Reese the other day, it's that as a, as a believer, we no longer, and this would be true of Solomon or David, whoever's writing it, you know, this would be this would be true that we no longer approach God out of a slavish fear, but of a Christ-like obedience or a, a childlike obedience. So we are to revere God. We are to respect him and honor him as God. Um, but yes, the, the foundation, wisdom, it's all begun with the fear of God. Um, we think of servant leadership. So many secular um, leadership gurus recognize the importance of servant leadership. Does that, they're right. Yeah, servant leadership is a really good way to go. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But again, this goes back to the knowledge of God. And, and why, why does Christ say, I came to, to serve so that I might give myself up a ransom for many? Like, yeah, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve all the way to the point of dying on a cross. To give my life up as a ransom for many. So, you know, you can, you can gain all sorts of wisdom uh, from the Bible, but we have to know God. We've been given our minds for the purpose of knowing God. Last thing to finish up with, uh, and then uh, kind of give you guys two minutes of uh, any last thoughts you might have. But there's the passage that stood out in my mind uh, in thinking through this, is uh, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is a point that the author draws out that's a super important point. We, knowing God cannot be for the sake of just gaining something from him. Mm-hmm. We do not sit, are there blessings? Oh yes, <laughs> overflowing. And we won't even fully realize how many blessings until we enter into his presence. And we're going to be floored that he would bestow so many blessings upon such wretched people. Yeah. But do we go to, do we want to know God simply to receive his blessings? No. This is what he says, like, is the danger of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, where you're basically... As I say, you know, uh, what we do a lot of times in our prayer life, treating God as our genie. No. What does Paul say? Just to know him. To know him. He counts everything else as loss. Simply for the fact to know Jesus Christ. To know God. So, so why have we been given our minds? To know God. Um, yeah, I didn't get to get to a lot of what I was going to do, but I got the, the main gist of it. Any last thoughts? We were talking about the, uh, the thing that Doug was saying, the praying mental, praying creature. Um, that made me kind of think of uh, total depravity um, with, uh, with the original sin. Uh, and total depravity is not that any of us are our worst most sinful thing that we can be right but just the how it how it contaminates or permeates every aspect of who we are our mind body soul the very things that we already use to love god and um you know it makes me think of like you know the emotions we talk about the stoics being you know anti-emotion uh and yet we see emotion in god and that must be uh something to do with his likeness that we have emotion um, so why we shouldn't be ruled by it, it is certainly, I think, there's image bearing in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, all of creation groans for the redemption. And even though, I mean, they're, they're, they're groaning out like, come on, man, like literally mankind, you know, let's, let's get our act together here. And you know, I I'm just kind of making this up as I go here, but creation groans, yet we're the ones created for fellowship with God. We are the praying mammal. And like there's something so very wrong with <laughs> how things are. Yeah. And just on the emotional point, it's, uh, and we are passive, we have the kids to pick up, we can head out, but you as Damien mentioned last week none of us are truly human the true we are not the truest humans that we could be Jesus Christ was the true human the true man because he is exactly what God designed one uh, what we were supposed to be perfect obedience sinless and yet, no one would, you can't read the Gospels and say Jesus was emotionless. No. You know, he, he weeps at, at Lazarus' tomb. He weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a, as a hen gathers her chicks. It's, yeah, like you're, you're saying, it's... He turns over the table in the temple. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... E- emotions, uh, not something that we um, should suppress or we like. Oh, I can't show any emotion. I have to maintain. I like, know there's 
we are emotional creatures that's part of an image bearing but even our emotions are subject to sin yet to the fall right they're part of that total depravity that they're part of the something that was lost in the fall yeah and though our emotions are part of our being in this flesh they are too affected by sin and so they're not they're not as they should be yeah our intellect is not as it should mm-hmm. be can you imagine if um einstein <laughs> had no sin i mean think about the the genius but it was still marred and affected by the fall. Imagine what he could have thought of had his brain not had the effects of sin on it. You know, it just, every single one of us is, like you said, totally depraved. It's, that doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, even Hitler wasn't as bad as he could be. He was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, that is scary. Yeah. But praise God that, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even Jeremy, I would like to say from experience and not a one-time one, but um, just from experience, I think that some of the Gnostics and the Stoics that we were talking about, the Vulcans and the (laughs) Muslims and whatever, Um, Another group that falls into that is in the Bible Belt of the United States of America, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, because I was one, and I knew, I thought I knew God, until he asked me, did I know him? Yeah. And um, it was pretty evident, no, I didn't know him. And from that, but I wasn't seeking him, thought I was good, thought I had it made, no wonder he loved me, and um, no wonder he died for me. That wasn't the picture he gave me after the Holy Spirit dealt with me. So what I'm trying to say is that it is possible to think that you are right where you should be because you're morally good and you're not even that really, but you've been, you believe the lie. Yeah. And until he quickens our spirit, makes us his, can we even hear him? And, and then and when you do hear him, it's almost like, wow, I never heard that from people. So, and, and I'm not talking about a mystical thing, you know? mm-hmm. but I just, I think of all people, you know, we want to be sure because there's so many of us in the South who have grown up in church Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I mean, that's what it was when I was growing up. Yeah. And, and I grew up all of that, knowing all the scriptures I'd heard, and still did not know him, and unless the Holy Spirit had shown me that I did not. He did his job convicting and convincing of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I just, I just, when, when I finally got there, I just said, Lord, if you haven't chosen me, I understand. I understand why, but I'm begging, you know, I want to know you. And I... I just think that it's possible to be 23 years in a church yeah. and under the Word of God mm-hmm. and still miss knowing Him yeah. like He wants us to know Him. And of course, that's what He does. So, For, for me, more this... I was at a uh, funeral about a week ago, and what I witnessed at this funeral was more offensive than any news headlines I would read more saddening than any news headlines I would read. And it was a funeral service where the name of Jesus was mentioned by every, every speaker. Scripture was read by every speaker. Hymns were, if you want to call them hymns, were sung. The gospel was completely absent. It was all, even the hymns they sang were about their good works. Mm-hmm. And because of their good works, God would find a way. A hymn I never heard before. Mm. Praise the Lord. Because it was like, <laughs> what are these people singing? <laughs> but it was sad. Because just like you're saying, it's that it can be, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's that people there weren't saved, but this the message that was proclaimed that night was not the message of salvation. 
and yet it was marked with the name of Christ. It was marked with scripture reading and singing. People singing at the top of their lungs who knew, knew who had sung this song many times evidently because there were no lyrics and they knew the words. And Courtney and I and my mom left and were thinking, wow, there's no hope. Yeah. Well, we need to we need to head out, so um, I won't even pray just for the sake of time. Thank y'all.